Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. Uh, we have some espressos in front of us, Robert. Yes, this is about my third for the day, so I'm getting kind of wired. Well, you may need to have some of that wonderful water they have here. It's very tasty. Except for the gas water. I'm not really wild about the, the water with the You like the natural so. water, the non-carbonated water. Well, yeah. all right. Well, enough of that. Okay. Let's talk about our, our great guest here. We have Fra Tom Mulligan. He's a Knight of Malta in Solemn Vows. And I guess the first thing I'd want to ask you, well, first of all, I want to welcome you. Fra thank Tom. you. Thank you very much. Um, and so, Fra, many people are thinking, did, what did he just say? Did he say Fra? What is a Fra? And we, so we, help us understand what a Fra is. Fra is short for frater. And in the old days, fraters were the Latin term for brother. So I'm a religious brother. And um, the tradition goes back so many years, maybe 900 years, and with our existence that uh, that. I'm still called Fra today. So most people don't know, especially another aspect of it is, is that I live and work in the world. Now, a lot of times people will say, well, if you're a brother, then my experience of brothers is they're in some big monastery somewhere on a hill, and it's very dark, and there's candles going, and they're chanting. But that's not what you do. No, our spirituality is very much Benedictine, and it uh, comes from Benedictine sources. Our hospital was founded by Brother Gerard, who was a Benedictine, thought to be maybe an oblate, or also he was a lay brother. And so what I do is I live uh, the monastic spirituality in the world. I have a job, and um, we, don't, we do not live in community, I think, is really to answer your question. So you've got a secular job. I mean, you work like, as a, in, like a paid job. A regular business world. And um, I work with 160 employees who I've known for years. I've done the same work for 40 years. And most of them don't have a concept of whether or not I'm a religious brother. But I suppose in some respects I hear from time to time that I just do things differently. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. Now, as a brother, though, do you take vow? I I do. You're not a priest, so you don't celebrate mass. No. But you Um, do take vow. What, What vows do you take? I take the three vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. The most important is obedience to the order of Malta and its charism of uh, taking care of the sick and the poor. Then poverty, I have a slight relaxation because I have to live and work in the world. So you have to pay your own expenses. Right, and primarily things like um, health insurance, my own room and board, so that there's a relaxation of poverty, but I'm still expected to live within the spirit of it. And that would mean that I don't go out and buy the finest and fanciest do you Just have a Rolex watch? That's Bra, right. That I wouldn't to... go buy a Rolex. But I, I can also buy a, a, an expensive, durable watch if that would be the case of, uh, to get me through something. Or, for example, I can buy a suit that would be more durable and not just something that's only going to last me a year. Okay. But the... Um, Poverty side is probably the easiest part to live. It's um, you just don't have great aspirations as far as those things that you surround yourself with because we really don't need to have all these material goods. Then um, chastity is the third vow we take, so that means I cannot get married, and my life is now totally available to the order. I'm a hundred percent 
committed to the order in that respect. Prof. Tom, is it difficult because if you don't get married, so you're a sing- it's a single man, you're professed, but you're not living in community in the world. I mean, how do you get your support system? I think a lot of people would like to know that. Well, that, that is um, a challenge. At one time, the brothers did live into, in uh, communities, but the uh, way we support ourselves now is almost by virtual community where we're always in touch. I mean, there are telephones and the, and the um, use of the Internet for us to communicate back and forth. We're in probably more touch than some uh, monastics might be within their house. About prayer life, though, I, I, I just—I guess I was getting into. Do you, does it get lonely as a brother, or do you? How do you fight that? Lo- uh, or is loneliness a problem, or do you fight that with prayer, or how does that? Uh, we're very much supported and strengthened by prayer. And for example, I say the uh, the daily office, beginning with morning prayer, uh, I close the day with evening prayer, and uh, following that with night prayer, and those are something that I find. Uh, you could honestly talk about for a whole uh, program alone. I wrote an article some time ago that described reduce your blood pressure and get yourself onto an even keel through the use of the divine office. A lot of people don't realize the divine office actually is a public prayer. And you're actually, even if you pray it by yourself, you're actually praying with the universal church. Exactly. Someone somewhere is saying the same prayer someplace in the world with you at the same time. Uh, it's very nice if you can be saying it with somebody else, but if, uh, there is somebody else, I guess you could say, because um, every religious is doing it. Many lay people, though, have picked this up, and, and yes. the church encourages the lady to look at doing the divine office because it's a beautiful way to unite yourself in prayer, not just through the liturgy of the Mass, right, which is public worship, right? right. But, but the public prayer of the church, the divine office, is a, a beautiful way to unite yourself with the universal church. It does give you a strength. It, it really can put, like I said, put you on an even keel to the point where you shut off all of your distractions and uh, in every way that you could. If you were sitting in the airport, obviously you're going to have distractions around you. But if you're home, you would really just take the time. Or if I'm at work, I'll just shut the door, won't answer the phone, and just sit in quiet for a couple of minutes, read the office. And it's amazing as to what it does. And they have a great free app on the iPhone and the iPad uh, where you can, do, do. you can do iBrievery, and it's a wonderful thing. I don't advertise for them, but it's free. Yes. Uh, and you can do this. Uh, you can do this uh, liturgy of the hours, the divine office, anywhere. And after you've done them for a while, I've been doing them for quite a few years. But I think after you have uh, said the offices, you find that uh, the psalms begin to mean something to you. Mm-hmm. Right, the first time or two that you're doing it, or for a while you're going to find that the psalm is um, maybe confusing. It's or, overwhelming, too, yes. just reading lots of words. Well, exactly. for, you, for you guys that both pray this, for our listeners, what is the breviary? Is that readings from the Bible? Is it, uh, I mean... Psalms primarily, but there are also readings, and there's a, a, a period of reflection, but I think that... Um, what did you say? Deacon? Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, no, these are a, a collection of prayers, and you're exactly right. It's, and it's mainly scriptural. Uh, and they're organized, and there's also a song, uh, and there's just, it's an opportunity. It's like a little prayer service, and we do them at various times in the day. Um, I'm under obligation to do morning and evening prayer, uh, and uh, I just find that, like you said, even keel, to me, it, it just regularizes everything. I, I agree with you. And lay people can do this, too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anybody's encouraged to, uh, to pray the divine office. Fra Tom, because a single person obviously also can pray. 
and living off his set. What, what is the calling to a brother? Though? Why are, you know, because you could be single working in a job and living a life of poverty and, and, and praying. What is the calling? I think we look for something. You start to feel something, first of all. And um, certainly I could have, I did live a single life for a very long time. And I wanted to legitimatize that life uh, through consecrating it. But at the same time, it, it wasn't just an overnight decision. It was something that I felt as if uh, once I um, felt this calling, you start to explore it and you wonder whether or not there might be signs available to you. So you look for signs. I made my real active consecration here in uh, Lourdes about 10 years ago. And uh, at, at that point, I did look for signs, and they were amazing as to the types of things that began to fall into place. The, um, and I did go to the grotto myself. It was, ended up at about 2 in the morning. There was no one in the grotto, so I just took, found, happened to find the spot that was marked where John Paul II had knelt and figured I'm just going to kneel here until I figure this thing out. And um, I asked for a sign, and you won't believe this, Robert, but... Um, I heard this loud crash. I had my eyes closed. No idea as to what had just happened. And I finally realized that a, a candle had fallen out of its holder. It had mm-hmm. finished, and I just it crashed against the metal plate. So I figured, okay, we're getting, we're getting some <laughs> signals here. A bell is rung. And at that point, I think all I could honestly do is ask uh, for Mary's guidance if this is what she would like me to do, but she helped me through it. And um, I'm now in solemn vows. That's a beautiful story. And, you know, I, I think that the most important part of that is the fact that you actually you felt something, but that you answered that initial kind of feeling, which was really a calling. You asked our Blessed Mother for help, and just you gave them the opportunity to speak to you. And so you were listening. Now, you had a, a loud noise uh, <laughs> yes. to help you, but a lot of folks don't always have that much of a, of a noise to, to awaken them. But you were listening, and that's the key thing, isn't it? Well, Deacon Jeff, it also comes down to, if you, we all know this, for those who come to Lourdes, especially with the order or any organization that is working with the sick, and that you receive so many things in return from that service to the sick, and I realized that that's what the order does, as well as there were so many wonderful examples here for uh, families that have been in the order for multi-generations, and you see them uh, from other countries, and they bring their children, and they're showing them, and I thought, this is an organization, it's a religious order, but it's also an organization that I think I could give my life to, and um, I have. We're glad you did, Fra Tom. Uh, And we have more to talk to you about in in your decision to become a brother, but then also what other folks might want to include in their life as far as what you do in your life to see if that's something that maybe they're they're called to do as well. So we're going to take a a quick break here. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home about our website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I'd love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Vestra Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Even though you may diligently search the scriptures, you will not find the word Trinity there. Much like many other doctrines like purgatory, 
The Holy Trinity can be best understood in light of a combination of sacred tradition alongside sacred scripture. There's a very old and interesting tradition concerning the teaching of the Trinity, usually attributed to St. Patrick, a bishop of Ireland. When St. Patrick arrived in Ireland as a priest, the Emerald Isle was predominantly pagan, and there was a well-established practice of polytheism, the worship of multiple gods. St. Patrick made it his personal goal to win the island over to the one true God and his one church. At great personal risk, he fought tirelessly in this holy endeavor. A particular stumbling block for many of the polytheists was the Catholic understanding of the Holy Trinity. How can you say that you worship one God, but pray to three, they would ask. St. Patrick is said to have used a very novel and successful illustration to help them understand the Trinity. Perhaps he got this idea from reading St. Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Legend has it St. Patrick displayed a piece of shamrock, a three-leafed variety of clover common to the area. He asked those to whom he was ministering, Is this one leaf or is it three? After a thoughtful pause, they would reply, It is both one leaf and three. St. Patrick would simply say, And so it is with God. The use of the shamrock to better illustrate the Holy Trinity, one God and three persons, is still used today and serves as a wonderful starting point for discussions about the Trinity and its place as a foundational doctrine of the faith. St. Patrick was very effective as a Catholic missionary in Ireland. He personally welcomed thousands into the church through the sacrament of baptism. He ordained hundreds of Irish Catholic priests, set up many churches throughout the country, and founded many monasteries all of which kept the fires of faith burning in Ireland for years to come. Though he was not Irish himself, the people of the Emerald Isle have taken him as their own, making him the patron saint of Ireland. His feast day is March 17th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in our French Catholic Cafe here at the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Uh, And we're still joined here with Fra Thomas Mulligan. Fra Tom, you were just telling us about your your decision to become a brother. You had a big candle drop, and uh, that was apparently Our Lady pushed it over and said, yeah, you need to follow through with this. Let me ask you a question. Let's go back to those uh, three vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I, I know Robert had asked you a question like, well, anybody can do the things that you do. You know, do you have to have solemn vows to still do those things? And I guess the answer is you, you don't. But, no, you don't. But, but do you think you get a little more focus and a little more purpose and a little more drive in life because of those vows? I think that we recognize that our spiritual life is something that is um, much more than just attending a liturgy once a week. And if you're capable of living that life in every respect, you still could do this absolutely without a problem, without living in vows. Um, There has to be a certain calling, and I think that today we don't see as many examples. So there is a certain advantage to my living in the world because people who do want to know or work some of the same projects as I do back home 
are um, beginning to understand a little bit more what this is all about. And I think for that reason that um, the I would be the first person to say the nurse or a teacher are uh, in a vocation that is um, doing very similar types of works. A person who is a social worker, of course, all of those things are similar. But the religious side is what gives us the inner strength and also puts things into perspective. But also, you say a religious side. Really, the re- it's not like that's the that you separate them. Right, that yes. that you keep your religious world over here and your business world over there, you have to integrate those necessarily. Mine is as much as possible, and my goal, I suppose, is to uh, be entirely integrated between the two. Didn't you tell me you run your company by the Benedictine rule or something? Uh, that I do. I, I started with, um, I had gone away to boarding school for high school, and the monks at that point had told us that... Um, you think you're going to military school. Well, you're wrong. You're being raised by the rule of St. Benedict. And it was an amazing thing because every aspect of our life as a, a teenager, when we are probably the most formable, formable people, um, was a, a part of the Benedictine rule. And they later showed that you can run a family by the Benedictine rule. You can run a business by the Benedictine rule because it is honestly that adaptable. But there's some amazing things within the rule. Yeah, well, what are some of the things that would help? Like if you're, if you're listening to this program, you say, well, I think I'll run my business by <laughs> the Benedictine, Benedictine rule. rule. What are some of the little knickknacks that would help in, in terms of uh, understanding that? Well, in my, my, my own management style, I realize that people have different needs. For example, we all know that uh, a family, children will have different needs. One is a, um, always has to have things around them, whereas the other one, uh, other child always is content with maybe one item around. And you cater to those particular needs. Some, as we could say, are much more needy and need a lot more attention, patting on the head and, and thanking for the works that they do. And other people just, uh, don't know how to accept thanks. And so it also takes as a nod and, and saying that um, they're that you're happy with what they're doing, and, and, and uh, they are just as content. So St. Benedict realized that, that monks have different needs, and the abbot has to be the wise man, or whoever is uh, the superior, to determine how to meet those needs. The other is to seek counsel and to recognize that the youngest person in any community also has an opinion, and you don't necessarily have to heed to the opinions, but at the same time, people like to be heard. And I think that, that one of the most important parts of my work, whether it's um, at my job or whether it's in the hands-on services that I work with, is listening to people. I listen to people all day long, and sometimes it's, uh, you don't even have a solution for them, but they just want someone to listen to them, which is true, like when you were talking about what homebound visits I do. And um, elderly people are lonely. And they love the fact that you're coming in to give them communion. But if you only have three or four minutes to say a prayer and walk out the door, um, I'm probably at least 30 to 45 minutes. And you just hope that you just listen. People, right. people have needs. and they, um, So you, you try and take care of those needs. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You, you obviously have a, a pretty important day job. That's You, know, you pay the bills. You've got... Uh, those kind of things that you have to do. But at the same time, that's not all the work that you do. And you're mentioning some of these things. What what are your other jobs, as it were? One of the works that um, I do, as well as the people in the Order of Malta in my area, would be we are doing communion visits at the Veterans Hospital. And 
there's this one place, especially where it's very lonely for the patients in the hospital. Most family members are either gone or they have no interest in, in the person. And they are um, mostly men, and they're ranging in age from 50 to the end of their life, dealing with mostly end-of-life issues. And it's amazing when uh, you see them one day and you offer them communion and they say, no, they're not interested, and, they, and you go back again another day and you ask them if they'd like communion, and if not, then you say, well, we're praying for you and um, just keeping you in our, in our thoughts. And one of those days, it usually turns around where a person finally says that um, we'll come in, and we start to talk, and there are some amazing revelations as to how you realize that some people are, are troubled at the end of their lives. They've been away from their religion for a long time. Uh, one day, we had something that uh, a person who wasn't troubled, but was troubled by the fact that he was there praying for the Eucharist. And he was a deacon from Indiana. And I remember uh, both uh, myself and another person, we were doing the visits together. We walked in the door and said we're from the uh, Catholic chaplain's office. And he just started crying. And finally he got his composure and he said that I was praying uh, for the Eucharist and here it is. You've walked in the door with it. So, you are an answer to a prayer. <laughs> there, are, uh, there are ways of... Um, we get our own gratification, don't we, when, um, when we're doing these uh, things. I call that affirmation from God. It just helps yes. you know that you've made that right decision. And speaking of making the right decision, do you, do you, are you still trying to discern for yourself what God's will is in your life, or do you feel like you're, you're Always. getting there? That's the challenge. I mean, um, God's will, I was taught by the monks a long time ago, is every single thing in our life that's not sinful. <laughs> and, and if you really think about it, it's, uh, you wonder, well, what is God's will for me? And as long as you're on the path and it isn't a path of um, sin or, let's say, uh, self-centered, which is one of the bigger issues these days, right? Um, it's a never-ending process, I think. We're a work in progress. Well, so again, always you'll be still picturing yourself in that grotto on your knees trying to discern the will of God. You know, and, if, and as long as we are always continual, continually in that that listening mode, right? And we got the Blessed Mother there with us. Uh, we're more likely to determine what God wants us to do. And it's reinforced every year for me. My my uh, quote time off. It wouldn't be definitely not a vacation, but my time off is coming here. And to Lords, I'm re-energized by the great amount of peace that I get, and regardless of jet lag that we're carrying or the duties that we are performing and being available to the Malads, um, I go home with so much peace that I'm carried through until we come back again next year. You know, Father Thomas, one thing that I'm really struck by is that you know people think of charity sometimes as doing really big things, but you're talking about as a religious life, doing really simple. It's just being with a person and listening. Just making yourself available, coming with people to say, just serving God as a religious through doing really small, quiet, simple things. It's, we, um, as a group within our area in Chicago, we do these things, as you know, too, from the, the area where you are. And the uh, reward comes from doing things for other people. And I've, in the beginning, said I have no time to go to the soup kitchen, which is another work that we do. And... The moment I did it once, now I look forward to going back. So I find the time in my day to do things because once you do them, 
they're contagious. Uh, they have done what they, um, what everybody says that they're going to do. You just have to experience that yourself. Wonderful. Now, if someone's listening and they want to, they start thinking, well, maybe I, I feel a calling to something. I don't know what it is, but I'd love to go to Lourdes and kneel in the grotto and ask God what it is that he wants me to do. But what, what, do, you, what do you say to someone who's interested, who feels like they may be called maybe to, the, to work with the order, but, but maybe just a call to religious life in some way? Well, I think that it's a uh, two-sided matter because, first of all, um, the only way that you could really understand what it is that I'm doing within the Order of Malta is to get involved with the Order, and you could do that as a volunteer. If you're a young person, you could do that as an auxiliary member. Um, you could go into formation and become a knight or a dame. And right, and, but you don't have to be a, a, a professed, right, to, no. uh, to, to join the Order, of course. No, no, not at all. And eventually... Um, you work and understand what these works of the order are. Now, a person who thinks that they might have a religious calling needs help, and I think that uh, we call that discernment, and you can't do that on your own. And the the best thing that you can do would be to seek out uh, a spiritual advisor and help uh, get the help from that person, whether it's a confessor, a priest, who's just uh, um, someone in your parish who you don't go to confession to but know and you, you admire. Uh, it could be a, a religious woman, or it could be another brother such as myself. Um, or the, you know, It's um, a whole gamut of people who will help a person work through the idea they might want to do something that is more than just providing a service for people but also involve the religious part of their life. And, of course, before all of that, there really becomes... Uh, it, prayer, right? Just to start prayer. to pray. I mean, have a conversation with God, and then rather than just launch words at God, go ahead and have some times of silence, maybe uh, in adoration, just where you let God speak to you. Exactly. All of our lives are journeys. I mean, it's, um, if we were to concentrate entirely on the destination, um, let's just think of our destination as our last day, our last breath. But if we work through that journey, just a minute, uh, the things that we are experiencing, they are continuously changing, but hopefully working towards that journey. Fra Tom, thank you so much for being with us and tell us all about your particular journey that's continuing uh, and helping others to hear what their possible journeys might be. Uh, We'll remind people that they can go to our website at www.thecatholiccafe.com, and there's actually a link there to find out more about the Order of Malta if you want to find out what the Order is doing to see if you want to get involved in something like that. But thanks again, Fra Tom, for being here. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, Robert, for also having me in and Deacon Jeff. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to ask Our Lady to be with us. We're here in Lourdes. We're going to honor her with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Hail Mary, amen. Full, full of grace, grace the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.